Let's call our attention to the reading of God's word together this morning. Let's stand as we read together. We're reading from Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. May God add understanding to his word, the blessing of understanding to his word today. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. Mike, are you getting me back there? One, two. Are we good? Thank you. Okay. Prayer. It's the cornerstone of relationship and communication with God. The cornerstone of relationship and communication with God. It's a habit for many Christians, a true lifestyle for others. For some who do not have a relationship with Jesus, prayer seems to be a futile religious exercise practiced by those who are wishing for a solution to their problems. For others, an unsure lifeline that they undertake only in the darkest of times and the most difficult of situations. For some, it's a family habit around a dinner table. For others, it's the first and last words uttered each day, prayer. I've known Christians through the years about whom I can confidently say that they were true prayer warriors. Sometimes that term is used without real thought to what the warrior part means. Our prayer lives wax and wane. At times being intense and heartfelt, and at times routine and emotionless. Our prayer life tends to go in streaks, in some seasons consistent and daily, at other times, our prayer lives are neglected and inconsistent. Preachers and speakers and theologues 
have had a lot to say about prayer through the years. Here are a few great quotes about prayer. Billy Graham is quoted as saying, prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. Dr. Graham also wrote this, we are to pray in times of adversity lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger lest we become fearful and doubting. We are to pray in times of security lest we become self-sufficient. The Bible teacher Josh McDowell says this, prayer is talking with God. God knows your heart and is not so concerned with your words as he is with the attitude of your heart. The reformist Martin Luther is quoted as saying this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And I like this quote also of Martin Luther, as is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Amen. President Abraham Lincoln, who walked our nation through some of the darkest days of our country, days when families were split in war and, and brothers were fighting against brothers and our nation was literally divided in half, Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. The founder of Youth for Christ, Bill Bright, writes this, I like this. We must talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. <laughs> we must talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. And, and the preacher Billy Sunday says, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. The Lord Jesus, in his earthly ministry, taught about prayer often. Prayer was the habit of our Lord. And teaching the principles of prayer to his disciples was a frequent occurrence. Look at a couple passages in the Gospels. From Matthew 7. I think you have that, Mike. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus teaches his disciples, he said, Ask, 
and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? From Matthew 5, beginning in 44, Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus spoke a couple of parables and he, and he indicated that they were parables about prayer. One of them is found in Luke 18. I did not copy it on the slides. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Wow, we could about stop there, couldn't we? Always pray and not give up. Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Know anybody like that? And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come back and attack me. And the Lord says, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Friends, don't stop praying. Storm the gates of heaven. God will answer even though that judge was unjust, he got tired of being bugged by that widow, and he granted her what she wanted. Jesus spoke another parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. <laughs> he says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I got. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, this is the words of Jesus, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those, listen, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus was concerned that people would pray, that an important life of a believer is prayer. And Jesus cares deeply that our prayer attitudes are healthy and biblical. A couple of passages from the Gospels that we read show these principles, but we also read teaching and wisdom on the subject of prayer brought to us by the Apostle Paul. A couple of Paul's writings on prayer, just briefly. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul's saying part of, part of God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to pray continually, is to live a life of prayer. Philippians 4, 6 you Bible students that get together here Thursday night, we're getting to this soon, I promise. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I could preach there the rest of the week. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, say instead, Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Thank you, Paul, for that. And such a famous passage in Romans chapter 8, beginning in 26. Likewise, Paul's teaching here on the Holy Spirit. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words hallelujah you ever not know how to pray God what do I say now in this situation, in this circumstance, God, God, how do I even come to you? And at that point, you give up and the Holy Spirit takes over. Interceding and praying for you and connecting with Jesus at the right hand of the Father God. Wow. If that don't give you comfort, nothing will. Friends, over the next several weeks, we will be examining the passage in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. That passage in verse 9 
is what is known by all as the Lord's Prayer. Before digging into that, I'd like today to examine the words of Jesus just before our Father who art in heaven. We read those in our text this morning. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And it is the first of five teaching sessions found in the Gospel of Matthew. St. Augustine was the first person to refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And I guess the phrase stuck because that's still what we call it today. Among Jesus' teachings, the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the best loved, the best known, and yet the least understood and the hardest to obey. <laughs> That's quite a description, isn't it? The most beloved, the best known, the least understood, and yet the hardest to obey. The first thing to say about the Sermon on the Mount is that it is one of the most famous portions of Scripture in the whole Bible. It is certainly one of the most written about portions of Scripture. All the great Christian writers through the centuries have studied and written about the Sermon on the Mount. From the early church fathers in the 2nd century AD to St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and John Wesley and John Calvin and Martin Luther and they all wrote and commented on the Sermon on the Mount. It is also the longest teaching of Jesus recorded in Scripture. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the longest he ever taught. Jesus sometimes taught the people all day long. But this is the longest passage of Jesus' teaching that was written down and preserved. The ver Listen, the very heart of the teaching of Jesus is found in Matthew 5 through 7. It's recorded for us here. There are more commentaries and journal articles written about the sermon than you and I could ever read on our own. But the best thing for us is to simply dive into this portion of Scripture and read Jesus' words for ourselves. All Scripture comes from God. The Sermon on the Mount speaks to us in our lives in a way that is especially intimate and personal and life-changing. There's a portion of the, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount hanging on the wall in here in the hallway. It's the great portion called the Beatitudes. They're also a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at the text that leads up to the Lord's Prayer, okay? Matthew chapter 6, look at the verse beginning in 5. And when you pray, do not. <laughs> Somebody say do not. Do not. not. Alright? I'm going to clue you in here. Jesus is going to show us how not to pray before he shows us how to pray. Alright? Somebody say do not. 
when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. The phrase at the end of this verse, in verse 5, to be seen by others, really tells the story here. Really does. You see, the intent of who Jesus here calls the hypocrite is not to see the Lord in prayer, but it is to be seen by people. That's the intent of the hypocrite, or the Pharisee in this case. To some folks, it is far more important to be seen as spiritual by men than to be redeemed, justified, and seen by God. Did you hear me? It is more important for some to be seen as spiritual by men than to be seen and heard by God. Make sure, my friend, that your heart's intent is pure. As was stated earlier, God is not so, so concerned with your words as he is with the attitude of your heart. Especially as you approach him in prayer. Then he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They've already received what they desired to be seen by men, to be esteemed as spiritual. Huh? Jesus says they've already received their reward. Look at verse 6. So he said, don't do that. But instead, do this. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Friends, prayer time is one-on-one -on -one time between you and the Father. It doesn't mean we don't pray corporately. We're all, it's always a blessing for us to come together. We've said we're, we're going to come together and we're going to worship and we're going to pray and we're going to learn. We're going to pray together. But a healthy Christian needs a personal prayer life. Needs a communion time with the Heavenly Father. So I want to show you a little interesting contrast here. The unseen nature of God is our model for the unseen by men nature of prayer. Come on. God is unseen, amen? So are you to be when you pray. So are you to be when you pray. You, you don't pray to prove or to show others that you are praying. You don't pray so that others know you are praying. 
you seek with your heart intimate time with God the Father. To some that's uncomfortable. To some that takes discipline. It takes work. Sorry about the D word, discipline. It says go in your room and close the door. You ought to have a place, friend. You ought to have a place. And you ought to have a time. And we're going to learn you ought to have a formula, a pattern. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a little preview of what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. You ought to have a place. You ought to have a time. And you ought to have your time, your intimate time with God. Some people call it quiet time. I know some folks that ain't real quiet when they pray. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not, say do not, do not keep on babbling. I like that word. I don't know if that's a, I don't think that's a King James word. It's an NIV word. Don't know that it's original content, original, uh, original Greek. I don't know what the translation of babbling is in the original Greek. But you all know what it means, don't you? Don't keep babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. <laughs> Don't just be babbling. Huh? For the sake of babbling. You ever meet anybody that talks because they like to hear themselves? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So number one, it's about the attitude of your heart. Number two, it's not a public spectacle, but a private, intimate experience. And now number three, it's not about how many words or how eloquent your language is. But you need to speak in King James prayer language. No. Jesus says, don't just come to me babbling. Have you noticed that the more words we use, the less impactful those words become? Said by a preacher. Jesus says, when you are praying, don't be like them. And he calls them pagans. Pagans are those who worship a false god. The pagans in the cultures of the day... They are people who worship a false god. Let me give you an example. Paul ended up in Athens. He was traveling, and one of the places he ended up was in Athens. And Paul wandered around the city of Athens, and he found all these places of worship. They were, they were built like, like poles. They called them Asherah poles. And, and all over the city of Athens, there were these different places to worship 
all these different gods. And Paul came upon one that really piqued his interest. You can read about this in Acts when Paul is in Athens. Paul found one that said, to an unknown God. The pagans of Athens were so desperate to try to find a, 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 a God that was real that they decided to put a statue up to the unknown God just in case. Just in case. The pagans. Jesus says, don't be like them. I wasn't planning on elaborating on this, but I, I, I really feel like we need... Listen, you know the God you are praying to. You're not reaching out to some unknown entity that may or may not hear and may or may not answer. You know the God who you pray to. Or I trust you do. We talked Thursday night about the passage in Philippians where Paul says I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering see Paul Paul knew the God that he was praying to it was a desire of his heart to know his God not some unknown God like they had in Athens the pagans worshipped an unknown God in Athens, brother, dude. I think what we're hearing here is, make your prayer words count. Make them have impact. Get to the heart of the matter. And then in verse 9... Jesus turns a rather dramatic corner in his teaching on prayer. And he says this. This, then, is how you should pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Say that with me. This, then, is how you should pray. Get used to it. We're going to talk about this passage for the next several weeks. This, then, is is how you should pray. Okay? When Jesus says that, my ears perk up and I'm going, okay, we need to learn this. This then is how you should pray. From the words of Jesus, friends. The word how is important here. I've dug into this a little bit. Listen, Jesus here is about to teach us a method. Say method. A method. A how-to on prayer. Have you got any good how-to books? One year early in our marriage, Rhonda saw and got for me, for us, a how-to-fix-everything-around-the-house book. She got it for me. I remember it had a blue cover, didn't it? it, did, it did. How to 
how to fix everything around the house. I got to tell you, I'm the worst at home improvement or home repairs. I'm not a good fix-it guy. If you blow air through it, I can fix it. Otherwise, it seems like any project I ever get into only gets worse with eight trips to Lowe's until I have what I need and then I still don't have what I need. The new household fix-it-all inclusive volume these days is called YouTube. You can learn to fix it yourself or do it yourself in almost any subject on YouTube. Like rebuilding the transmission on your Ford F-150 truck. My son was working on that project in our driveway and in our garage. And literally, my son would lay under his truck with his iPhone watching a YouTube video on what to do next to rebuild his, Trump, his, uh, his transmission. Call dude. Call dude. Did you learn by YouTube? No. Listen, Jesus is about to explain how to pray. A do-it-yourself do lesson on how. Somebody say how. How to pray. He says this then is how you should pray. My ears perked up. How about yours? My ears perk up here. You know, you read certain things in the scripture and you go, you know, I need to get a hold of this. This is something I got to pay attention to. Huh? Sometimes we read through scripture and we kind of go, oh, this is something I can kind of pass on and ignore. But not this. He's shown us how not to pray, right? And now he's showing us how to pray. This passage known all over the world as the Lord's Prayer, in giving us these words, Jesus is putting out a tutorial on prayer, a master class by the master prayer. I like that. A master class by the master prayer. And it's worth learning. It's worth looking into. But not just memorizing the words. So much important, more importantly, learning the pattern. Somebody say, learn the pattern. The Lord's Prayer has been quoted and memorized by millions of Christians all through the years. And I think you could probably say it by memory. And that's fine. And I'm not minimizing putting Scripture in your heart and, and, and praying Scripture. What I am saying here is I think we can draw some truth from it that goes beyond just memorizing and repeating, memorizing and repeating, memorizing and repeating. It's like John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal right. Amen? Amen. But there's some meat there, folks. Amen. Huh? I ought to preach a sermon on that, yeah. on that verse one of these days. When I got nothing else going on, I'll preach a sermon on John 3.16. But we, we quote these things and we, and we kind of we spew these things out by memory and how much, heart, how much heart impact are they having? 
It's interesting. The scriptural, uh, uh, the, the scriptural reference that, that we see in Matthew does not have, in most of the versions, the last line of what we know traditionally as the Lord's Prayer. I must tell you I'm researching that. I'm, I, I don't have all the answers yet, but I will tell you this. It was added later. The for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that part. It, it was added later. It's not in the Matthew passage. And so most people, most scholars and theologues, of which I am not, uh, believe that it was added later because it was such a repeated prayer. It was added as a doxology. You know what a doxology is? A a completion or an ending. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Remember that? That's a doxology. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a repeated uh, prayer to, to complete or to end a, a service time. It's okay. It's okay. So, so when you hear the Lord's Prayer memorized and repeated, in most cases, at the end, it is... For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'm going to share with you what most scholars believe happened there as far as adding that. It's not a bad thing. But the scriptural Lord's Prayer ends just before that in Matthew 5 as we read, as we read today. We're going to learn the pattern over these next several weeks. The template Y'all computer nerds, you know what a template is. A template is a form that you can go back to and fill in again. Okay? Y'all work with templates, any of you? Okay? A template is a form that you can go back and you can fill in the blanks again. It has, it has these spaces for, for, for filling in and they're under various categories. The Lord's Prayer is a template. It's a pattern for us to learn how. Somebody say how. I want to learn how to pray. Jesus had a suggestion on how to effect. I'm going to put the word effectively in there. This is how you should effectively pray. Y'all want to be effective prayers? Somebody said push when I got here. Didn't know what push meant. Pray until something happened. I, I, I like that. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. I don't know why I hadn't heard that before. But, but that's good stuff. We're going to learn the pattern of prayer in the Lord's Prayer over the next several weeks. You okay? Yes. 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 Next week, we're going to start out with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's where we're going to start. And that's where you need to start. When you go into your prayer time, you need to start with, Father, you are awesome and holy and you are my Father, our Father, who, and, and, and you're our Heavenly Father. Not praying to our earthly Father, are we? We're not praying to our earthly Father. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. That's just a little prelude for next week. I've chosen for this series a, a song that I'd like us to, to ponder and to learn, and we can sing along with it as we do. Mike, if you would run that, please. This will be our theme study on prayer.
further establish your kingdom father establish your will establish your will in my life may your kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 